This is the Wired Up Sports Podcast with Jerry Peralta and Josh Coleman. Finally, after a long, long hiatus, we are back. Jerry Peralta, Josh Coleman on the Wired Up Sports Podcast. Josh, how are you doing? It's been a while. I'm doing really good today. I'm so excited to be back up in here in the studio with you, Jerry. Yeah, Wired Up is back, and I couldn't be happier. And I ask how you're doing, Josh, but I mean, I see you every day. It's Yeah, you, you know. <laughs> you know the struggles I'm going through right now. We know all the struggles you're going through right yeah. now, Josh. But I mean, let's let's get into it. We have a jam-packed episode, so let's just let's just jump right into this. With some NFL talk, mainly the trade trade markets, free agencies, th- things like that. The big one being trades. As of right now, the trade market has been hit with countless trade rumors and controversies. You know, big talks about Russell Wilson actually being traded away from the Seahawks, but I know deep down in my heart they're not that stupid. (laughs) But let's get it to two players who could actually get traded or potentially stay for their respective teams. And I am, of course, talking about Dak Prescott and Deshaun Watson. I kind of want to get into Deshaun Watson because Deshaun Watson is is, is pretty much in what could be considered Russell Wilson's situation. If we're being like Wilson, Wilson, the, the difference is Wilson wants more say in Seattle's offense, which I respect. Deshaun Watson just wants out because the Texans organization has proved time and time again that they don't care for him. They clearly don't care for the team and they don't care for their fans. I mean, just just the, earlier, the Texans cut, not release. They cut J.J. Watt. And, and and just let that sink in. The la- last year, De- DeAndre Hopkins, the star receiver for the Houston Texans, traded away to the Arizona Cardinals for a Watt for an injury prone court running back and a couple draft picks. I mean, that alone shows you how much it seems like the Texans organization's trying to ruin the team. I I mean, yeah, they've they are ever since. Bill O'Brien got fired this year. They've looked a little bit better, but they really I wouldn't even say they look better. They still look the same to me, if I'm going to be completely I mean, honest. I mean, the Romeo Cornell team, they played with a little bit more heart week in and week out than they did with uh, Bill O'Brien, but it's not like they looked just tremendously better in all aspects of the game. They just played with a little bit more heart because it was a little... It, changing coaches usually give you some more effort and um, they make you want to go out and play for him because he's kind of in the same situation that you are. He got thrown into into the fire, and you have to go out there and play for him. But oh, Well, I mean, it did, it, did take, it did take J.J. Watt to call out the entire team for them to kind of step up and play a little better. Yeah. I mean, let's, let's look at it like this. That, despite all the setbacks, all the attempts to just throw him off his game, Deshaun Watson did not let the organization – or at least the heads of the organization stop him from balling out last season, you know, and he faced a lot of problems and hardships and he was shown to be the franchise of, of, oh. a, of an organ of a team, the franchise guy of a team, excuse me. 
I don't think it's going to be with the Texans. I think he goes somewhere else. The Texans are hard set that they're not going to trade him, but let's be honest, the Texans have done worse. Well, and I think if they don't trade him in the offseason and he, they go into training camp with him on the roster, I don't think he shows up to training camp. I think he holds out. Yeah. I don't think I think he pretty much holds out till they're kind of forced to trade him. Yeah, I agree. I mean, let's put it this way. Last season alone, he had he had almost 5,000 yards passing, 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and he had a quarterback rating of 112. And a 70% completion percentage. I mean, those numbers alone tell you that he, this guy, without having really any weapons on the receiving core and without a really designated run game, he could ball out and throw the ball really well. And he could make a... a a relatively mediocre receiving core looked good. Yeah, I mean, he had Will Fuller for the first 11 weeks of the season, and Brandon Cooks looked much better in the back half of the season, but it's not like Deshaun Watson had DeAndre Hopkins to throw to. No, DeAndre Hopkins, that would have been a game changer. Yeah, it's almost, like... it's almost as if we've seen him in a Texans uniform, but they yeah. traded him Yeah. In Probably the worst trade of all time. And then, and then, we, saw, and then we saw what DeAndre Hopkins did with the Cardinals. Yeah. It's, so I don't blame Deshaun Watson at all for one now. No, but I mean, the big question here is where does where do, does he go from here? He wants to be traded. We don't blame him. And I, I have my own pick for where he's going to go. Josh, I know you have your own pick for where he's going to go. You have a biased pick, too. Yes, I have two um, picks, one biased and one non-biased. <laughs> I'm going to start with mine because yours, your biased one's going to kind of take up a little bit of time. Okay. That's fair. I think, and I, and I read this in an article that was posted yesterday, the New England Patriots are set to make a big push for Deshaun Watson. Now, Honestly, I think the Patriots have all the leverage in this in this trade should they make it happen. You know, they have they have the draft picks that they could give up. They have they have a couple players who they could give up realistically for this trade, you know, that they're not going to give up anybody big, like they're not going to trade uh Stephen Gilmore. Stephon Gilmore. Um but I mean they could get they could trade um Julian Edelman um James White realistically mm-hmm. and, and they they have the leverage and they have the cap space to pay Watson not a franchise price at least not right now the, the they'll what Bill Belichick will most likely do is put him on like what we saw with Cam Newton kind of like a test contract yeah, just to see to... they'll gauge how he plays and if he does well the Bill Belichick will sign into a longer term contract pr- with more money and and the Patriots have then found their uh, next franchise guy, and they have found a guy who could keep up in with with Tua, Josh Allen, and nobody cares about the Jets. So I was just about to say, who needs to keep up with Tua? It's not like he was out here boat racing offenses and looking no, tremendous in his rookie year. So yeah, but you have to keep I, up with Josh Allen. Josh Allen, but I'm just saying. I I think Tua is gonna we're gonna see a little a, a little bit of a surge with Tua next season. I think so too, but um, I, and I think it's gonna be one of those things where some they are gonna have to have a guy who could keep up in the passing game. Well, I can argue I'm with sorry. it later. I'm sorry. 
And so they can afford to pay that. And Bill Belichick, no. Even, like, he he knows how how good quarterbacks work. And his offensive system just works with Deshaun Watson. It fits. And they have a good enough receiving core that Deshaun Watson can still ball out. I mean, I think that's fair. I, the Patriots are, to me, a realistic landing spot for Deshaun Watson because Bill Belichick's not going to let Tom Brady go win a Super Bowl and not try to retool and come back and make a name of himself Belichick Brady, already but... has a plan and it's oh, yeah. and I get and it's in motion it's... probably <laughs> I think that it's possible if Deshaun Watson gets traded up there that you see Will Fuller potentially get pursued by New England I think they're going to be huge huge players in the offseason this year whether it's in the draft or free agency I think they're going to go after a lot of guys potentially J.J. Watt if J.J. Watt and Deshaun Watson both go to New England, man, that's going to be a scary team. Romeo Cornell used to be a Patriots coach. You got to yeah. remember this. That is also true. So I mean, the conspiracy started, Jerry. It's already in motion. <laughs> I mean, to, the conspiracy has already been started when Jimmy Garoppolo got traded to San Francisco, and they looked horrible for, like, the first couple, you know. <laughs> and everybody thought... That Tom Brady was going to get traded to the 49ers back for Jimmy G. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the conspiracies that surround the Patriots year in and year out fascinate me. They are fascinating. Josh, let's let's hear your picks. All you, right. let, let's hear your biased pick first. I, yeah, I have to start with a biased pick and one that's seeming much more realistic. The Denver Broncos. Oh, this would this would warm my heart. I might become a genuinely good guy if Deshaun Watson gets traded to the Broncos. Josh, it it's a good thing. It's not a miracle. <laughs> <laughs> but it, I, I think if Deshaun Watson got traded to the Broncos, it would, it would give them something they haven't had since Peyton Manning was here, which is somebody who has the ability to read an NFL defense pre-play and make the adjustments and then make the right play rather than Drew Locke trying to force the ball down the field. Although he looked better late in the season, let's just be honest here. Drew Locke has no progressions. I'm I'm going to keep harping on that. He, I know, but let's just be honest here. Are we? I don't think anybody in Denver would ever say Drew Locke is going to be better than Deshaun Watson, so why wouldn't you want this guy? And then you pair him with Jerry Judy, Cortland Sutton, Noah Fant, K.J. Hamler, Tim Patrick, and Albert O. I just, those are weapons that Deshaun Watson, yes, he's had DeAndre Hopkins. He's had some other kind of good receivers but he's never had a collective group that's really good and this young this like the receiver the receiving core in denver is really really young and they're going to be really good in a couple of years yep and i think it's just going to take that one growing year with deshaun watson in denver where they're a playoff team potentially but they're never they're not going to be afc championship super bowl contenders but that next year you get that extra year of growth I think everything kind of opens up, and Deshaun Watson becomes the franchise guy, although he was going to be the second he comes to Denver if he does get traded here. Yeah, uh, and I'm pretty sure Denver has the cap space to pay him. Yeah, we might have to get rid of somebody like Von Miller, uh, but, you know, I don't I mean, we know saw, if I'd be we upset saw how, about it. We saw how well the defense did without him this past season, so, I mean, it's not the end of the world should Von Miller go somewhere else. Well, and we're paying him a lot, a lot of money for him – Yes, he's still a, what I consider a top 10 defensive end outside rush or whatever you want to call it. 
he's not had the production that he has in previous seasons. So it's if you had to part with a guy who's taking up a large percentage of your cap cap space for Deshaun Watson, and then you have to kind of retool your defense, that's something that John Elway has done, and I'm sure he can work with a new GM to kind of retool the defense. And the one thing this team has missed since Peyton Manning is just a good quarterback, a franchise guy. Yep. Okay, so, th- well, there's your bias. What What's your actual pick? My actual pick? The New Orleans Saints. I just think this team would be so scary if they managed to get Deshaun Watson. And they are, I believe, re- going to restructure Drew Brees' contract, which was an absolute massive one due to him seeming increasingly likely to retire this year. But I, let's if you pair... Deshaun Watson with Alvin Kamara and Michael Thomas. I don't even need to mention anybody else. You have one of the scarier offenses in the NFL. Michael Thomas has a DeAndre Hopkins kind of style to his receiving game, so it gives Deshaun Watson that level of target again, and then he's never had anybody like Kamara in the backfield with him. Kamara would open this offense up more than I think he does with Drew Brees because Drew Brees can't get out of the pocket. Kamara, Watson, you can run, although I don't think they would. You can run some option stuff. You can get Deshaun Watson out of the pocket on some designed runs to open Alvin Kamara up. But this offense, they were able to get Watson, who can throw the ball down the field better than Drew, older Drew Brees could, just because, you know, as you get older, your arm doesn't throw the ball nearly as far as it used to, which is just a natural, natural thing. But I just think that if... If the Saints were able to do this, they basically take control or or maintain their status as one of the premier NFL contenders year in and year out for a Super Bowl. Yeah, I could see it. I mean, I'd rather him not go to a team like the Saints, mainly because I think Drew Brees is going to potentially be coming back anyway. I don't think so. I I mean, we'd have to see, but I mean, I just, I w- I'd rather see him go somewhere else um, to a team that would need it a little more as of right now. Um, oh, you mean like the 49ers? Don't you start. <laughs> don't you start with me, Josh. I will fight you when we come back. <laughs> We're going to get into a quick Super Bowl recap and then, Take a look at the Nuggets. Where What is going wrong? What do they need to do? Jerry Peralta, Josh Coleman, wired up. Back here in KMSA 91.3 FM studio. Jerry Peralta, Josh Coleman, wired up. We just got done talking some Deshaun Watson. We were going to talk Dak Prescott, but, I mean, let's be real. It's most likely Dak Prescott's going to stay in Dallas. Dallas is, Jerry Jones is going to realize that he kind of needs Dak Prescott because we saw what happens when he's not on the field with the team. And if Jerry Jones is smart, which he claims he is, um, he will keep. Dak Prescott. Yeah, they got to keep him. They have to. But looking now, looking for, looking forward. Super Bowl recap. 
I mean, the Super Bowl was this past Sunday, and just I'm I'm gonna preface this by saying, I beat Josh in a pie bet on our other sports talk show, and I feel really good about that. I didn't pie Josh. I hit him with some uh, psychological t- uh, warfare. Yeah. So if I seem bitter during this segment, just know why. And I'm probably gonna seem he, he's a little bit, bit he's bitter. He was already bitter before. Yes. My 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 little speech to him. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I mean, let, let's, t- let's talk about the Super Bowl. The Super Bowl, in my mind, was a letdown. I mean, think about it. These two teams are coming in, two of the most, obvi- obviously two of the best teams in the league at this time to make it to a game that is really difficult. Uh, you know, two high-powered offenses, Tom Brady, and the Buccaneers, Patrick Mahomes, and the Chiefs, goat versus baby goat, and and it was a mess. I mean, Patrick Mahomes alone couldn't do anything. Tampa Bay's defense was all over. The Chiefs' receiving core, who it, with who might I say, is one of the if not the best receiving core in the league today. Could not catch a single thing, and the Chiefs were too quick to move away from their run game, which actually looked really good at the in the very first quarter, and uh, in the start of the second half. I, yeah, so they it was just it was just bad game by the Chiefs. Their offensive line, it seemed like they were it, they had to have been mad at Patrick Mahomes because well, it seemed were- like that defense was getting through. Pretty easily every time. They were missing their starting two tackles. But no, that's fair. But I'm just saying, though, that there's... I'm with you here. It, it, you're in the Super Bowl. There has to be some sort of stepping up in that offensive line. And if you are if you know those guys are going to struggle, you have to make the adjustment to chip those guys on the edge or provide some help. Even if it's just for half a second to a second, you have to do something to help your tackles. Yeah, uh, like... This is another thing, too. Look at the routes that both teams had to take. The Buccaneers had to face some of the best teams in the league, and they managed to upset every single one of them. They, The Chiefs on the other side, they managed to pretty much just roll through their playoffs onto, the second play, onto their second Super Bowl. And I mean... And the game looked like it was going to be a relatively interesting one, a defensive battle. Both teams start with three and outs. And, it, and you know, the Chiefs go up early. They get the, th- the field goal. It's like, okay, this is going to be a good defensive game. And then Tom Brady, score- Tom Brady finally puts up a touchdown in the first quarter of a Super Bowl in his career, and it went downhill from there. I mean... You know you play a bad game when Mahomes just scrambling alone put up more yards than your whole offense put up to all together. Mahomes had to scramble for over for over 400 yards, 497 to be exact. How what kind of adjustments should have been made if I mean, there should have been a lot of adjustments made if I'm yeah. being, if we're going to be completely honest here. Mahomes having to scramble that much is unheard of. He has never had to run that much 
ever since he became the starting quarterback. And come the Super Bowl, Tampa Bay, their defensive line was just in there every other play. Shaq Barrett, Ndamukong Sue, they were in his face. And Mahomes, he didn't even get sacked all that often. He Three he, times. He got th- sacked three times, and he managed... And most of the times, he managed to get the ball away before he was even taken down to the ground. Yeah. And they, and they were beautiful passes. They they would make it all the way to Tyree Kill, and it'd bounce off his helmet, and he'd be like, what happened? Right, literally right between the eyes. It got bounced off the his helmet. And the more impressive one was in the third or fourth quarter. I can't remember which one. But as he gets tripped up, and he's literally parallel to the ground, Get, somehow manages to get the throw off and hits Daryl Williams in the face. Yeah, I mean, you... you it was... It, it's also surprising to me, Travis Kelsey didn't have didn't play that well either, but he still had over 133 yards pass, or receiving. Yeah, it, it's, it was the quietest 133 yards that I've ever seen. Like, I could tell the impact he had, especially in the second half. yeah. But early in the first half, I don't even know if he had a target in the first half. Yeah, I don't even know. I, I mean, give you some stats. Mahomes had one of the worst games and the first had one of the lowest QBRs in his career. He hasn't lost a game in double digits since his college career. They were harping on that a lot. Um, Patrick Mahomes in that Super Bowl threw, had 26 completions for 40 at, at – 26 completions out of 49 attempts, 270 yards, two interceptions that weren't even his fault. All, both come, came off of tipped receipt, tipped catches and a QBR rating of 49.9. Tom Brady, on the other hand, probably probably the best all-around game he has ever played in a Super Bowl, if I'm gonna be completely if I'm gonna be honest here. 21 completions out of 29 attempts, 201 yards, and three touchdowns. Yeah, it's not like his stat line really kind of wows you. Like 200 yards doesn't wow you, but if you watch the game, he never looked uncomfortable. He always looked like he was making the right play and he was one step ahead. Yeah, he the, again, this is the best all I think in all the times that I have watched Tom Brady in the Super Bowl, this is the cleanest and like most perfect game Tom Brady could have played. It was some of the best called game by their offensive coordinator because on that first touchdown you could see as they pulled Gronk across there was no chance they were going to stop him like that was a clear bona fide touchdown from the start of the play well and Gronk's already hard enough to stop as it is yeah there was nobody in the area and it was just like that was one thing that I noticed from the Bucks was their play calling was beautiful there the Chiefs defense could never really get a read on what they were trying to do yeah I mean, the game was a letdown. That's all there is to it. Hold on, Jerry. I want to. I have one note for you, and you kind of hit it on the first part of the game, talking about adjustments. Literally, one of my one of my notes was: you remember the first time this team played? Yeah. Chiefs won twenty-seven twenty-four, and Tyreek yes. Hill had two hundred and sixty-nine yards receiving. Most of that in the first quarter. Yes. Obviously, the Bucks are going to make adjustments off of that game. So why didn't the Chiefs? Because it didn't seem to me like there were any adjustments made by the Chiefs. Like they thought they were going to walk into this game and it was going to be exactly like their first one. And even at, in the game, you could see that they were basically doubling Tyreek Hill with that safety over the top. 
just not allowing him to get deep. Why don't the Chiefs ever bring somebody under, whether it's Travis Kelsey, Le'Veon Bell, uh, Miko Hardman, Sammy Watkins, Demarcus Robinson. They have so many weapons that they. J- I felt like they didn't use it. To me, it almost looked like Andy Reid thought since Bill Belichick wasn't here that he was going to walk into this game and just kind of smoke smoke the Buccaneers. I, 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 it didn't look like there was any kind of doubt from the Chiefs walking into this game that they were going to win. Yeah, I think the Chiefs, it was that youthful arrogance. Yes. They thought they, they it's like, well, we beat them before. We could do it again. And I, it's that youthful arrogance. It's like playoffs are a different monster. Mm-hmm. You know, teams, I mean, look at the Saints. They swept the Buccaneers. And, and, and the and games they, weren't and close. They, and those games were not close. The Buccaneers lost horribly. Tom Brady had one of his worst games in his NFL career against the Saints. They rushed for like seven yards. Yeah. The yeah. last time they played the Saints. Yeah. And look at what happened. The Buccaneers came in to New Orleans and they smoked the Saints. Yeah, it was. It's Playoffs are a different monster. And Tom Brady in the playoffs is a different creature. And I remember telling you this. I think it was during the game I texted you this. Um, but it felt like a – it was giving me a feeling of the 2013 Super Bowl between the Broncos and the Seahawks where it was just like first play happens, the Broncos snap goes over Peyton Manning's head, and you could just see from that moment on this game wasn't going to be close. Yeah. And it had that sort of feel after – well – for me, it was after Tommy Townsend's first shanked punk punt and before he dropped the snap and before his second shanked punt. I could just, that first quarter, I could just, especially after the special teams blunders, I could just tell that this game wasn't going to be a good one. Yeah, this game was not what it was hyped up to be. I mean, I was expecting this to be a back-and-forth battle with to come down to the wire. Me too. And it just wasn't. And it and the game might game is totally different if Tyreek Hill makes that first catch that hits off his face mask. Yeah. Game's totally different. All those drops that happened, game's totally different. Yeah, this stat stood out to me as I'm looking. Ten twenty six receptions for the Chiefs. Forty six targets. That is crazy. When we come back. Gonna talk some nuggets and talk some Premier Lacrosse League. Josh and I love our lacrosse. Woo-hoo. Jerry Peralta, Josh Coleman, wired up. Switching gears here. Gonna talk some NBA talk, mainly Denver Nuggets. Jerry Peralta, Josh Coleman, wired up. I mean, we've just we've just spent the last half hour talking some NFL, talked some trades, uh, talked the did a Super Bowl recap. It was fun, but now something a little closer to home. Looking at the Denver Nuggets, I mean, the Nuggets are seventh in the West at the moment. They've They've had an up and down season. They haven't really been too good. They've never they've had their moments where they've been looked great. They've had their moments where they looked bad. But I mean, there's a problem on the team right now. And Jokic is the biggest star, is the biggest shining light on the team at the moment. 
leading the team in all categories in points, rebounds, assists, steals, and blocks. And, you know, the big question is, what do, what can the Nuggets do to help Jokic? Now, Josh, you're probably going to disagree with me on this, and I, 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 I'm kind of interested to hear what you have to say when I bring this up. I'm going to say that Jokic needs a lot of help, but this isn't something that the Nuggets need to go out and trade somebody, trade for somebody. I believe that the what the Nuggets need right now is consistency. Think about it. Murray, after after how well how well he played in the playoffs, has not looked like Murray in the playoffs. I mean, compared to what we're seeing now, it's, it's kind of disappointed so far. I mean, we've seen glimpses of how well he played in the playoffs. We've seen we've seen sparks from Murray, but he's he's not getting remotely close to any of the numbers that he managed to pull out pull off in during the playoffs last season. Defense is another thing on the Nuggets. The defense is the most inconsistent thing on the Denver Nuggets and that is a, that was a problem even before the start of this season. The Nuggets currently right now are ranked 16th in the league when it comes to defense. And I believe that I personally believe that when a team gets hot and even and you know and they just and they're just shooting and they're making everything, it's next to impossible to stop them. But the Nuggets though, they just need to play better D. They they that that has what has killed them so far this season is they allow teams to go up big and then their offense has to re- regroup and try to come back and their offense has just has been just as inconsistent this season as well another thing for the nuggets and, and which is kind of interesting with the nuggets offense they're third in they're ranked third in offense mm-hmm. they they should be doing really good right now if you're thinking by about that but their defense just does not compensate for how for for their offense and I'm gonna skip my last point because I mean I <laughs> the Nuggets I, I think are gonna turn it around at some point. It's just gonna take time. But my last point is just the Nuggets need to be better in the second half. Most of the time, what we've seen with D- Denver Nuggets losses is they'll go up a re- go up in a relative relatively sizable lead. But come the start of the second half, it seems like they get so full of themselves to the point where they can't make their shots, defense is even sloppier than before, and they just allow the other team to claw their way back and then to the point where they've lost it. Consistency, consistency, consistency. That is what the Denver Nuggets, in my opinion, need in order to turn this thing around. They just need guys to make their shots. They need to be better on defense. And, they and you know, Jokic has done a good job so far. You just need everybody around him to step up. I I don't necessarily disagree with your statement. I disagree at points, but I don't necessarily disagree with the overall sentiment of it. I do think that defensively they need to be a lot better, and you are absolutely correct. This is not a new issue. The Nuggets' defense has always, well, maybe not always, but in the past couple of years has always been kind of their... And, and mind you, it's Jokic's defense that has always been the subject of yes. jokes he's, and debates. He's gotten better though. He's gotten better. He's gotten better this year. But the whole team, but the team as a whole now, their defense just not, is not up to par. Here is where I disagree with you. Okay. Our backup center, Isaiah Hartenson, Hartenstein. Sorry. I don't think 
he is what we need there. Because here, I think if you're going to use Jokic in the role that he's basically playing right now, which is offensive super, superstar, leads the team on that end of the floor, and Murray is kind of the, his sidekick. When he goes off, we need somebody to come in and be able to protect the rim and get some boards. That is just not what Isaiah Hartenstein does. I think they need to go get, or if they don't go get, I think Jermichael Green needs to step into that role a little bit more as the defensive rebounding kind of center. But I think that they need to get somebody like Bismack Biombo. And I know you probably don't know who that is. He's a tremendous, tremendous rebounding center. He protects the rim, but he's not ever going to be like a huge scoring threat. The Nuggets don't need a huge scoring threat. One, I need Michael Porter Jr. to step up and become what we've all been waiting for him to become. Yeah, Same with a, Jamal Murray. It's another thing is Michael Porter, MPJ, or seeing glimpses of how great he can be, but that's just inconsistent. I agree. I agree. But this team needs defense, whether it comes in a backup center, a uh, three and D wing, they need defense. And that can come in it in a couple different ways. They can shake up the minutes, try to get some more defensive guys on the floor, like Jermichael Green, who honestly, I love the, to see that he's averaging 21.1 minutes per game because he's tremendous. He's an effort guy. And I love the kind of grit that he brings to this Nuggets game or not Nuggets team. But guys like Gary Harris, who I I love as a Nugget, but it's not like he has produced for us in the last couple of years. He's had his struggles. I think we can move on from a guy like Gary Harris and get somebody to fill that role who's a little bit younger. There's certain aspects that I think this Nuggets team needs to improve on, whether it's they shake the roster up or they shake the minutes up. I think guys like Zeke Nanji, Marcus, Marcus Howard, RJ Hampton, I think they need... Some more minutes and if they don't need more minutes if Malone wants to keep him on the bench I think one of those guys does and if it's RJ Hampton great because he's going to give us some effort he's going to give us some energy on the floor but there has to be some sort of shakeup because I knew the Nuggets were going to start slow it's just they have more new guys on the roster than they typically do I knew they were going to start slow this is becoming almost unacceptable they're 0-3 against the Kings who typically the Nuggets don't have a ton of issues against and it's, it's the inconsistency. Like, they need consistency, like you said. They started their season 0-2, 1-1, lost 2, 1-2, lost 1, 1-2, lost 1. They just, then their biggest win streak is 5, and then they go on a losing streak. It, they need to find some rhythm and consistency in their play. Yeah, I mean, I get, I get it. I, I get the idea of trading away the or at least shaking up the roster. I, I feel like bef and my thing my thing with that though is just I, this team I don't I don't think the Nuggets need to go get you know like like that. I don't they don't need a star player. I think what they need to do what Malone needs to do first is he needs to shake up the minutes, give other people a chance, you know, make let's see Zeke Nanji. Let's see, you know, more of RJ Hampton and you know Let's get them on the on the floor and see what they can do. There's reasons we drafted these guys. Exactly. Um, so just shake up the minutes. Let's see what what these guys can do. You know, on the out, do with their game and see what they can bring to the table before we go out 
and shaking up, start shaking up the roster. I'm cool with that. I, I just think there needs to be some sort of consequence for not playing well. Like Gary Harris for the last two, three years just hasn't played that well, and he's consistently, right now, he's averaging 30 minutes a game. For what? It's not like he's, he's averaging 30.7 per minutes per game for 10 points per game, two rebounds, one assist, and less than a steal. He's averaging 0.9 steals per game. Yeah, Gary Harris has been the def- has been more of the defensive player that the Nuggets look to, but he hasn't really been doing that this season. And he's always been one of our best defenders, but he's a 3 and D kind of guy. And I think that's why I said if you're going to shake up the roster, it should be Gary Harris because you can get a 3 and D kind of guy to come in and produce that same level with probably less minutes fairly easily. 3 and Ds are they're not disposable but there's always another one out there there's always one younger guy out there and although i don't think the nug or the suns would trade him mikhail bridges i really like he's a small forward really lanky kind of guy really good defensively but he's got a tremendous stroke from behind the arc when we come back finally gonna get into some premier lacrosse league talk josh and i love our lacrosse yes we do Jerry Peralta, Josh Coleman, wired up. Finally, we are here. Josh, we've made it. Time to talk some Premier Lacrosse League. Josh, Josh and I have... For, for those longtime listeners of Wired Up, Josh and I are huge lacrosse guys. And uh, huge. we, yeah, so huge. So huge. Uh, <laughs> uh, and the league we like to talk about is the Premier Lacrosse League, Pro- probably some of the best lacrosse we've seen. And we've we've done a little bit of work with the Premier Lacrosse League. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we help pitch ideas and stuff. Um, yeah. Although we haven't done that recently because semester started, so it's kind of hard to do that. Yeah, and we actually should probably hit him up. We probably should get somebody from the the PLL on the show at some point. I mean, we've been trying for like a year. Yeah, I think it's more likely that it'll happen now because now we can have a direct contact to the people we want to talk to. It's true. So, but anyway, I mean, Premier Lacrosse League, the, the first, the biggest news that we didn't talk about was they had part they had partnered with the major league lacrosse major league lacrosse yeah it's a merger yeah merger so all the teams in the MLL will be joining the PLL which makes me really excited cuz god that's going to be that's going to be so much fun to watch now yeah i'm pretty excited i'm not going to lie i do wish that the denver outlaws was the one to win the championship this because they would have been the ones. Yeah, because they would be the eighth team rather than the Cannons. And yep. I don't know. It would just make me really happy to have the Outlaws be the one MLL team to survive the merger. Yeah, that would have been great. I have a feeling they'll be the next team. Up. Probably. I feel like what it'll do is they'll just go through the list gradually. Probably. But, and, uh, I mean, the Outlaws have had the most success recently. Three championships. I think that's the most in the MLL. For a franchise, for a club, believe so. 
But anyway, recently the PLL did their draft lottery for their for their eight teams to figure out who's gonna, who's who's going to be able to pick first in the entry draft, who's going to be able to pick first in the collegiate draft. And then coming up in March, we will have the expansion draft where the Cannons will be picking up their team. So soon, the seven teams, the seven current teams, will have to have designated fourteen-man rosters ready. And then whoever did not make those lists will be up for the expansion draft to the Cannons Lacrosse Club. Yep. And whoever does not get picked up in that draft will go back to their respective teams. Um, and then come. Entry and collegiate, there will be more chance for veteran talent and then the rookie talent. So it's going to be fun and it's interesting. But the big thing, the big news coming out of yesterday was for Redwoods fans, God, it feels good to be a Redwoods fan right now. <laughs> the Redwoods made a trade with the Out- the Atlas Lacrosse Club to receive Rob Pinnell, and in return, the At the Atlas received a third-round pick in the expansion draft and a second-round pick in the college draft. This is why I'm happy with this trade. The Redwoods are a great team. They have a lot of talent, very explosive guys, but they have always been missing that one element on offense. They, they, they've, just haven't, they've just missed one piece on offense that has just hurt them. And, you know... They needed somebody to go with Ryder Garnsey, Matt Cavanaugh, um, Jules Henneberg. And I think by adding Rob Pinnell, the Redwoods get an offensive threat who just pairs nicely with all with Miles Jones, Sergio Perkovic, and all those guys on offense. And he draws a level of attention that lacrosse that other lacrosse teams just cannot keep up with. I agree with you. And I actually want to read you the Redwoods head coach, Nat St. Laurent Lorenz, quote on adding Rob Pinnell. He said, he brings a balance and a calming component to our offense. We have some guys on our team that aren't necessarily comfortable carrying the ball all the time and quarterbacking an offense from X. And we know, and we now have a guy who's done that his whole life. And I think he he hits it on the, hits the nail on the head right there. Like Rob Pinnell has been an ex-guy since college and even high school, and he's been one of the best at running an offense from X that I've seen in quite some time. And the one thing that I really, really like about this trade is the combinations that they can throw in at their attack. They can run now. They wanted they can run Ryder Garnsey or Jules Henningberg out of the midfield, Yep, which I, that adds a whole different level to their offense. But then... The two-man games with the attack is going to be unreal. Like, they have Matt Cavanaugh, Ryder Garnsey, Brendan Gleeson, Jules Henningberg, and Clark Peterson, and all of those guys are really shifty, can get to the net. But we also have to remember, like, guys like Miles Jones, Sergio Perkovic, Brent Adams. The Redwoods have a very stacked offensive midfield as well, and they can invert with a two-man game and potentially get Rob Pinnell with a shorty on him which poses an even bigger threat to the offense or the opposing defenses because he will gladly sit behind X and just wait for the right cutter. And then yeah. he will put it right on it on their stick. And it's an easy goal. Like the Redwoods, they've missed. They've always been missing a facilitator and they now have one of the best facilitators. Yeah. And well, and then you also have to take into consideration too. 
Like, Rob Pinnell just, he, he draws a level of attention away from those guys. Mm-hmm. As explosive as they are, you know, Rob Pinnell can also hit you on the inside. He is mm-hmm. a very talented at, rap, at you know, cutting inside and get and getting a goal himself. So it adds a level, it adds a threat to the defense that now they can't cover everybody or they can't double team everybody like they would. That means somebody is always going to be able to either make a cut or the moment you double somebody, you're going to, they're going to be able to hit another guy on the outside for an easy goal. You double up Ryder Garnsey. Well, you got Jules Henenberg on the, on the left and, or on the right, whichever, you know, Whichever side they decide to throw him on. Yeah, I don't you know, know how that. You, you double up go. one guy, you have another guy open in the middle. Yeah, you double up another guy, you have another guy open outside the arc for a two-point shot. And I mean, it's just that distributor is going to Rob Pinnell is going to be the is going to lead this team in assists. I'm going to call that. And I mean, I agree. It, it's going to be even better next season because Jules Hennenberg will be back. He didn't play the championship series due to health concerns. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, this pickup is going to work out great, I think. And we will finally see a Redwoods team that could beat the Whip Snakes. <laughs> finally. Uh, That's that was, all I want in my life. That was one thing that I noticed and was the big thing for this trade for me was the Redwoods offense in the championship game that first year. It's not like they kind of suffered or stalled. They sputtered a little bit at times. But that's not going to happen with Rob Pinnell. You get to those championship games, you he's going to take it to a whole nother level, and it's going to allow guys like Ryder Garnsey to play with a ton of emotion and uh, trash-talking because defenses can't double up Ryder Garnsey, send a coma slide really early as he's getting to his left. They just can't do the same kind of things now that you have Rob Pinnell at X because if you send that slide, he's going to find where it came from, and it's an easy goal. Yep. I, I mean, he's unreal. Rob Pinnell and the Redwoods. I saw that and I got so giddy. I was like a child in a candy store. I was so excited. Now, they're just missing one piece, Jerry. Another defensive element. No, actually. No? I think your defense is one of the best in the league. I, I, think, I think they need one more piece on defense. I think they need a face-off guy. That is also true. If they, and this isn't off the table, if they could somehow manage to pull TD Erlen, oh God, the best faceoff guy in college for some who, for those who don't know, he's unreal. Go watch his highlights. He's dominant as you can be. If they were able to get TD, it's over. TD's going to go early. He's not going to drop. Uh, unless, no, but, uh, unless they pick him up in, like, the very first round. You're going to have to. He's not going to make it to the second. But, yeah, I mean, the Redwoods were trying to trade to get Brian Cosfield last year. Yeah. They were trying to get that pick. I wouldn't be surprised if Nat St. Laurent said, let's do it again, sent some guys away. Yep. So, I, you got the Redwoods become one of the best teams, and I hate to say it, although my second team is still the Whip Snakes, so. Eh, whatever. Water dogs and whip snakes, baby. <laughs> Boo on you. <laughs> Redwoods and the cannons. Ugh. Mainly just because, I mean, just I, my my second team has to be the MLL because that's what I grew up watching. I mean, so. me too. So, But I can't cheer for the cannons. It, I just can't. No. 
No, they were always one of those teams that the Outlaws always had a big rivalry with. And I feel like we played them on 4th of July almost every year. And I was at most of those games. Yeah. So I've got a little bit of personal hatred for the Cannons. Fair enough. Well, before we close this out, let's, uh, let's, let's end this show with a little bit of Matt's Matters. Josh? Oh, I'm so excited. All right. First tweet we got. And I actually am disappointed in you, Matt Kennedy, if you're listening. I'm disappointed in you. Your tweet, I actually feel all right being happy for Brady tonight. If there is anyone uh, if there is anyone I trust to dethrone KC tonight, it's Tom. All right. And it's nothing against, I, I think he's accurate. If there was anybody who was going to beat KC, it was Tom Brady. If you don't get to be happy for him, Matt, I don't know if you remember you and... Our former boss, Chris, yelling at me in the, the office one day about this very subject. I said, I think I'd be okay if Tom Brady won in six. It's quite an accomplishment. I'd be happy for him. And I proceeded to get yelled at for 30 minutes because I was not allowed to be happy for the guy who's crushed so many dreams. And that was the one thing I noticed in the Super Bowl weekend. Every single person was cheering for the damn Buccaneers. Yeah, I mean, that is kind of hypocritical. I would prefer that. I would have preferred a better game in the Super Bowl, but I mean, I don't. I don't. I didn't care if the Chiefs won or Tampa Bay won. I mean, Chiefs are really good. I. I mean, I, I don't get why people were so quick to not want the Chiefs to win. Yeah, I was, and the reason I think it's super hypocritical is because yeah, the Chiefs won last year, but it was their first Super Bowl in 50 years. Tom Brady has won for the last 20. What in the world happened? I just I just didn't get it. It made me angry. I was like, are we supposed to hate this guy? Not like him? He's ruined everybody's freaking childhood? I can't, I I don't get it. I it makes me angry. It makes me angry. Any other points? Uh I mean this one was just made me laugh. This tweet. Who cursed them? And it was in response to the Nuggets' third-quarter struggles against the Lakers um, from their February 4th game earlier this month. And it just made me laugh because the Nuggets, they really have struggled them. But I can just see Matt. Who cursed them? Yeah. Like, who cursed the Nuggets against the Lakers? Just in uh, the feet. Matt, I'll tell you who, who cursed the Nuggets against the Lakers. Kobe Bryant and LeBron James. That's who. Yeah. That's pretty much it. Yeah, that's you got a point there. And Anthony Davis. And Anthony Davis. But they'll never, he's never going to be on the same level as Kobe Bryant and uh, Sorry, AD. It's never going to happen. Never going to happen for you. That's going to do it for us here on today's episode of Wired Up. If you miss any of the live show, you can tune into Spotify, Apple Podcasts, anywhere you listen to podcasts. I'm Jerry Peralta, and along with Josh Colvin, and you have been listening to Wired Up.